This Lent in traditional and modern worship, our pastoral team is preaching the series, God Moves Us. Jesus didn't stay in one place for long. His earthly ministry was one of moving from one place and encounter to the next. He also moved through every part of the human experience, encountering everything from temptation to joy to suffering and even death. As we encounter the life and ministry of Jesus, we cannot stay the same. We ourselves are moved to grow and change as followers and imitators of the gospel. The comforting truth of Lent is that we delve deeper into our own self-examination. We find that we are not alone. God is still on the move in our lives, walking with us every step as we travel the road to Easter. Our scripture reading for this morning in this first Sunday of Lent is from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. Listen now for these words, for God to speak to you through these words. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's said that, that the, the land of Israel and Judah and uh, Palestine and Galilee and Samaria and the Transjordan and all is the fifth gospel. That the land itself tells the story, uh, not only the geography of the land, but the uh, terrain of our lives and our souls the geography of the gospel. Camera to the Judean wilderness. The Judean wilderness is a scruffy, rocky, dangerous place. Gulches so dark and narrow, the sun never shines in them. Uh, they call them valleys of the shadows. Does that sound familiar from the 23rd Psalm? Uh, Lord is my shepherd, even though I go through the valley of the shadows of death. That was a real thing for them in their lives. 
Jesus was baptized in the refreshing waters of the Jordan River just a few days before. You remember perhaps that account. Jesus receives the Spirit of God. Uh, he hears that heavenly voice that says, You are my beloved child. It's a refreshing river moment in his life. And maybe you and I have refreshing river moments in our lives or mountaintop moments when things come together and uh, we feel blessed and we feel close and they're wonderful. But uh, the geography of land and the geography of our lives can change very fast. Now in the wilderness, I like to call it the wilderness. Jesus is razzed and tempted by the diabolos. In the New Testament language of Greek, uh, the word is diabolos with a B. In language, B's and V's are interchangeable, and so diabolos comes into English as devil. Now, but understand, this is a, uh, a, an uncapitalized uh, description. It's not somebody's name. Uh, this is not some semi-comic uh, figure in red long johns. Diabolos literally means dia, throw, bolus, across, throw across one's path to trip one up. The diabolos is the life tripper-upper. It is an uh, intriguing, sinister, tempting power. Maybe we experience it around us. Maybe we experience it within us. And it messes with us, and it tries to trip up our lives. Uh, the wily tripper-upper hisses to Jesus. Wow, Jesus, uh, God, sunny boy, uh, you're hungry. Why don't you wow us and change some of these rocks into Big Macs? Hey, sunny boy, I've, I've got my own Zoom system. Let me zoom in the pictures of all the kingdoms of the world. I can make you the boss of all of this. You just follow me. Oh, and by the way, in an instant of magic time, we're going to zoom now to the top, the very top of that high pinnacle of the temple. Now, you can wow us. You can do a wheelie off the temple and show us that you don't get injured, you don't get hurt, you can walk away. Now, notice it says Jesus receives the Spirit, that wonderful, refreshing Jordan River Day. But it's also there in the very first verse of our passage today that it says in the Spirit, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Uh, the Spirit the power, the presence of God is not some kind of magic way that we get to uh, sidestep the struggles of life, that we're immune uh, to the peaks and the valleys. 
the Spirit enables us, it equips us, it empowers us to face the inevitable uh, struggles that just come with the gift of life. So it's not at the point of Jesus' weaknesses that he is tempted. He is tempted at the point of his strengths. And more times in our lives, we're not as tempted by our weaknesses. We're just reaching out for some help. Sometimes, though, we, we abuse and misuse our, our power and our possessions and our positions. And so the Spirit's with us, not just for the temptations when we're feeling weak and scared, which we do, but also when we're feeling kind of cocky and like we don't owe anyone anything. And so notice how Jesus responds to these uh, tests from the tripper-upper. It's very simple, but it's profound. Did you notice that each time Jesus quotes a passage of Scripture, it's from Deuteronomy. It's actually from accounts of the people, the, the children of Israel's uh, test trek for 40 years through the wilderness, the wilderness. And if you remember that, the, their report card wasn't really all that great. And so, also, did you notice that Jesus was not the only one quoting Scripture? Did you catch it? That uh, the Diabolos, uh, the uh, uh, tripper-upper, quotes Scripture? Well, there could just be another sermon here, but I won't go that path. But all I can say is there is still a lot of people using the Scriptures in devilish ways uh, to prove their points, not necessarily God's points, but that's another sermon. Now, in the oddness of Godness, Jesus turns down the offer to be a celebrity, big-shot Messiah. That would be fun. Uh, this world likes celebrities and big shots. Uh, seems like we got enough already. Jesus, in his grace, elects to be with us in the mix of our refreshing river moments, but also in our struggling, scary wilderness time as a servant Messiah. One who doesn't stand on the edge of it all and say, hey, this doesn't bother me. I can jump off the temple. But one says, I'm with it. I'm with you, and I'm with it for you through the long haul. Uh, I go with you. And we experience that in Scripture. We experience that in worship. We experience that in people who are, are channels of God's presence and encouragement in our lives when we are in wilderness time. And sometimes people who call our hands when we're just a little bit uh, too big for our spiritual riches and also say, hey, hey, uh, don't forget who and whose you are. It seems to me that for most of us, our daily uh, temptations are, are not to uh, do some big shady money deal, probably not some steamy X-rated hijinks. Truth is, most of us are just not that interested, interesting, and most of us probably just don't get a chance. The big temptations, I'm thinking, are to insulate ourselves, uh, to avoid messy commitment, risky compassion, getting... Uh, 
turned up in other people's hurts and problems. Um, there's a big difference between admirers of Jesus, of which there are many, and actual authentic followers of Jesus, of which there are not quite as many. It seems to me that uh, there's two or three ways that we try to protect ourselves and we're tempted uh, to try to avoid all those things life calls us to do. If we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to love others and we're going to love God and we're going to risk getting involved in the ups and downs of this world that God has called us to help bring his kingdom ways to. First is something I'm calling self-protective cynicism. Uh, I remember a funny little story about uh, this man whose next-door neighbor was just negative. He, and, I, and, I'll, and the story, I just call him NN, negative neighbor. Uh, the man goes out one day and says, well, we just had a nice rain. But the negative neighbor says, just about washed away, flooded my yard. Uh, a few days later, it's, it's a sunny, pretty day. He's out, and the guy sees his negative neighbor and says, well, isn't it wonderful to have this sunny day? It's about to burn up my grass. The neighbor is, guys, pretty resourceful. He thinks, well, I'll, I'll take him duck hunting. Maybe I can lift his spirits. And so they go duck hunting, and if I get all these details wrong, I, I'm not a duck hunter. Uh, but in this story, they're out in the boat, and, and they bring down a duck, and the, the guy's dog jumps out of the boat, uh, walks across on top of the water, retrieves the duck, brings it back in, the duck. The dog's dry, jumps in the boat, and the guy says to his negative neighbor, what do you think about that? He says, your old dog can't swim, can he? <laughs> A great self-protected temptation is cynicism. Just not to expect anything particularly good from anybody or any situation. What good will it do? People's problems are their own fault. Uh, Republicans, you just write them off. Democrats, oh my, just don't even try to think about them. And, and we see now uh, we, we have this sort of degraded way in our democracy where there is not this sort of loyal opposition anymore. It's just this vile way that people are, are reduced to personal attacks, uh, a kind of cynicism with just like we, we really can't get anything done. We protect ourselves by not really listening, not risking to learn about people whose experience might be different than ours. Uh, racial heritage or uh, sexual orientation or uh, national background. Often we, we just have opinions and we've never personally really gotten to know anyone that's very different from us. Uh, Self-protected self-protecting cynicism. It's kind of a safe way uh, to sort of bubble off your life. Another direction I'm calling self-protective sentimentality. There's a, 
a little book. It's a classic from long ago entitled The Gospel According to Peanuts by a theologian whose name was Robert Short. And using the cartoons of Charles Schultz and some of the writings of Charles Schultz, he connects some of the Peanuts cartoon strip with issues of faith and life. There's one in the cartoon strip, and it's a snowy, cold day, and Charlie Brown and Linus, they, you know, they're just wrapped up, their hats and their mufflers and their gloves, they're so wrapped up, if they fell down, they'd be like turtles on their back that couldn't get up. And one says to the other, oh, look over there, there's Snoopy. Oh, Snoopy's so cold. What can we do? And the other says, well, let's just go cheer him up. So they walk over to Snoopy and say, oh, Snoopy, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And then they walk away and they say to each other, well, now I feel better about that, don't you? And Snoopy's there in the background (laughs) shivering. Uh, You know, we get a a bit misty at those TV commercials with sad-eyed dogs and those sweet-faced little at-risk children. Uh, We may turn the channel on. We contribute to the Humane Society, but I can't stand watching the commercials of those sad dogs. But sometimes, truth is, we, we just write a check. We might do a little volunteer time. This, this makes us feel better. Oh, they can be of good cheer. I, I've done a little bit. But oftentimes what we do in those situations, what I'm calling self-protected sentimentality, they're just tokens. There's just little things that we can do so that we don't feel guilty. We've done enough. And I will say, whatever is done uh, for, for pets or children or people anywhere at risk in this world, hungry, sick, or whatever, it's good, it's fine, please do it. But my point is, if we only do just the bit we can get by with to make ourselves feel better, it's really about us. It's not about them. So, self-protective cynicism, self-protective sentimentality. And there's even another one called, I would say, self-protected protecting self-pity. You know, I've had a hard time. I've had a hard life. I really can't be bothered with that. I just need to take care of me. Well, and you know, you, you need to take care of me. And I'm not here to say that people don't have raw deals in their lives. If you haven't had a raw deal, you'll probably get one. I'm not talking necessarily about that. We need to help each other when we have those raw deals in life. But it's not a defense mechanism to go through life with self-pity, so I really don't have to worry about anybody else. The following Jesus as followers, not just admirers from a distance, I'm calling self-risking compassion. I think either in the Ash Wednesday service or last Sunday's sermon, uh, Pastor Maggie was talking about the New Testament word for compassion. Uh, it's a Greek word. It, it, you, you, can't, you can't even say the Greek word without sort of uh, spraying it. Splotnitsuma. And it means to really sort of hurt in one's guts. And 
it means to hurt so much. It's below the heart. It's more physical than the heart. It comes from a word, uh, original word that means womb feelings, the kind of feelings a mother has for a child. Jesus had womb feelings. Jesus had compassion for people. Uh, there's some risk in that. Uh, there's some effort in that. You may a few years ago read uh, the book Just Mercy by Montgomery attorney Brian Stevenson. In it, he tells of his work to exonerate people who have been wrongly sentenced or over-sentenced. He tells of one person, Mr. Carson, who was sentenced at 16 for a nonviolent crime and served 45 years. Ryan tells of a grandmother who calls herself the stone catcher. Uh, she walks the halls of the courthouse in New Orleans. Ever since uh, 16 years before her beloved grandson was murdered. And so she talks about there at the courthouse, out in the halls every day, she sees people full of pain and hurting. And let me read what she says. At first, I'd look for people who had lost someone to a violent crime. I saw some grieving the most, though, the most grieving seemed to be ones whose children or parents were ones who had committed the crime. So I started letting anybody lean on me who needed it. All those children being sent off to prison forever, all that grief and violence, throwing people away like they're not human. People shooting, hurting each other like they don't care. I decided I was supposed to catch some of these people. I decided that I was supposed to catch some of the stones these people threw at each other. Stone catcher. Now, self-protective cynicism would have kept her at home resentful. Self-protective sentimentality would have kept her home feeling sorry for herself. And yet she lives self-risking compassion that Jesus gives us to care and, and, and act in ways that we could never do on our own. I think about some of the compassionate efforts that Asbury makes. These are way beyond token these are going second and third miles with our giving and our time and our effort to be something of Jesus' compassion in this world. Uh, you know, some of us, I may not have the numbers right, 38,000 meals packed for uh, Rise Against Hunger, uh, 350, 60, 70 flood buckets uh, packed, uh, for victims of storms. Have you been down this hall while lately? We have the world's surplus supply of applesauce out there because we know the way our system works. There's about 2,500 kids not that far away from here, not that far away from here, who won't have lunches during spring break unless someone does something about it.
Um, my hunch is that some of you are in positions in your work and in the community that you use your position and your power to go second and third miles to be of help uh, to others. Can we see that picture of the mountain now? I love that picture. Uh, God moves us. God moves us through times of temptation when we're tempted uh, to self-insulate ourselves. God, somehow by God's grace, gives us the strength to move mountains. Uh, Mountains uh, of where people are hungry. Mountains where people are treated unjustly. And so, in a word of realism, but realistic hope, I want to remind you that there's probably a, a, a little uh, a footnote somewhere in the gospel where it talks about your faith can move mountains. Yes, but most of the time, with a bucket full, a shovel full, a handful of dirt at time. So whatever else we are at Asbury, we are God's bucket brigade in this world. And there's a bucket for you, and there's a bucket for me. Amen. Amen.